Good morning, everyone. It's really fun to be here with with you all. (laughs) To be in church together is is a joy. It really is. And so I'm um, really privileged to be um, to be before you. And I have so much to thank you all for, because I I owe a lot of my um, the degree of health I have right now, I really owe to the prayers of the saints who have carried me and loved me and supplied for me and given me um, gift packages and food and it, uh, amazing things. So I am just really stand here humbly grateful for the ways in which the, the body of Christ has been for me. And it gives me permission and encourages me to also try to give that back. So, yay. Yay, yay, yay. Thank you all. You can see I'm four months out of chemo, and so my hair is starting to come back. And it has a mind of its own. <laughs> Today it wants to kind of curl this way. So I'm just going to let it, you know. It's easy. Just let it, let it be, kind of like life, you know. Don't fight it. Just go with it. So um, to, today we're – thank you for reading that scripture, Sue. That was read so well. And thank you for your prayer, Pat. You pray, you. I think, preach the sermon. I don't really need to say anything after Pat's prayer. She said it all. But um, I do have a few words that I've prepared that I'd like to share from my heart to yours. So, but before we get into today's text, I want to, you know how like you watch TV shows and they say previously on 24 or whatever show, they kind of fill you in or they kind of fill you in on what happened last week so that you're ready to take in and to set the stage for what's going to happen this week. Well, I'd like to revisit a verse or two from last week's text. And those two verses are, oops, um, chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Yikes. <laughs> that sounds pretty, pretty serious. And I'd like to read you... Um, a quote from one of my favorite um, authors, Robert Mulholland, who wrote is a seminary professor in Kentucky, I believe, I forget where. Um, but I read a book of his, and this is a quote how he, he explains this verse that I just read to you. He says, the term laid bare comes both from the gladior, excuse me, gladiatorial combat in the arena and from the sacrificial altar. It describes the position of the sacrifice with his head pulled back and his throat exposed for the sacrificial knife. In association with the gladiatorial combat, it describes the position of the vanquished gladiator laid across the knee of the victor with the throat exposed for the death blow of the knife. The writer of Hebrews is suggesting this is our posture before the word of God, a position of total, absolute, unconditional vulnerability. This is the posture of our true self before that living, productive, penetrating word of God. So if God's going to lay us bare like that and uh, with the word of God, I think, speaking for myself, I think he's probably going to discover a few things in there that aren't very 
spiritual or attractive or pretty or maybe even wicked and sinful. So I'm going to want to have someone who can uh, plead my case before the judge. I'm going to need a good defense attorney, you know, to, and character witnesses to um, argue on behalf of uh, me being uh, admitted, if you will, into the, um, to, into the kingdom of, of God. So since I need such a good defense attorney, attorney it's a good thing I have one. You know, Jesus, the great high priest, is the one who will uh, defend me, the one who will plead my case, the one who will stand, go before me, and prepare the way for my um, righteousness to be uh, his. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today, Jesus, our great high priest, and what he does and how he does it, and what we do and how we access the, the, his, his um, service for us. So the priest's job, as the scripture has read, the priest's job is to offer sacrifices to God and gifts to God on behalf of sinners, to represent the people to the holy, you know. Um, and so it says that we have not only a priest and not only a high priest, but we have the great high priest. That's the only time the high priest is described using the word great. It talks about how magnificent and how above and beyond good and great the regular priests are. Jesus is that great high priest that is ours. And he, um, I, I, I like this picture. This is just kind of an off, off the page thing, but it says he passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, passed through the heavens. And I just kind of have in my imagination, I, I watched Jesus kind of, leaving the Trinity, saying, I'm going to go do my job now, and kind of diving into the cosmos and sort of swimming through the stars, making his way to come and stand beside me as my high priest. Just kind of a fun little picture. So the scripture says, now, now starting with the scripture that we're talking about today, since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us, it, it kind of has a courtroom feel, doesn't it? Like a high priest, hold fast to our confession. confession. Um, and so I, I started wondering, well, what is our confession? Well, first of all, our confession is just telling the truth. You know, when a person is guilty and they, the police get them to confess, they're telling, all right, I did it. I'm not going to pretend I did it any longer. I did it. So first part of our confession is that, yeah, we need a high priest. We need someone to defend our case. We need someone who's going to speak on our behalf. That's the first part of our confession. The second part of our confession is that we hold to what we know is true, what the scriptures teach us about the truth. We know that we are sinners, true, but we also know we are beloved sinners. And at times, especially when the, the, um, our inner self has been exposed and there's some not very attractive things there there's maybe some sinful willful things inside there that are out there are being um, revealed there are going to be doubts and accusations that come into our heads our enemy will try to convince us oh we're we're not worthy of that you god how could that be forgiven you know all these emotional questions come at us and so when those comes that, that's when we need to hang on tight to the truth that we know of God's word that says we are um, saved by grace. There is, um, sure, we fall short of the glory of God, but the glory of God has made a way to wrap a mantle of righteousness around us. 
So we need to hang on to that when we doubt our, our righteousness be, be in Christ. I had a picture of, um, remember that movie Twister with Helen Hunt? <laughs> a few years ago, it was really bad. There was this one ridiculous scene where this huge tornado was coming, and she took a belt and put a belt around her waist and tied it to a pole to keep her from being blown away by the hurricane tornado. And that's the picture I get about how, how we need to hang on tight and let ourselves be bound to the truth, to the confession, because doubts and um, our accuser will try to blow us off course. So we hold fast to our confession, our, our truth of, of our own story, our own soul, and the truth of the scripture, because God's word pronounces us guilty. Even when we don't feel guilty, we think we're pretty good people. And God's word pronounces us not guilty and righteous, even when we feel we aren't righteous. So it's God's word holds the final word. We just have to figure out how to continue to hold fast to it and align ourselves with it. So, um, and the thing I love about this is, uh, as we have already kind of read and prayed, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we were. So Jesus, when he was flesh, he experienced everything we've experienced, every temptation we have, every desire to give in, throw in the towel, think it's not worth it, you know, all of those things, anything you can imagine, Jesus has also experienced that, but he didn't sin about it. So he's able to understand us, to sympathize with us. In fact, the Greek word is co-suffer. So he not only feels sorry for us, but he kind of gets in the boat with us and understands our fear or understands how hard it is for us to say no to different temptations. He's with us in it, but yet he's without sin, so he's able to do something to help us out of that situation. Um, and... I also take great um, joy when it talks about, he, um, when it says, uh, he, he's, for we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I, I like it that Jesus is able to sympathize, not with my joys and the things I do that are great for the kingdom and I, you know, a shining star, but in the places where I screw up and I blow it. I'm so grateful that Jesus is with me in those places because that's when I need the comfort and the, and the assurance. I, I get an image of like, you know, Jesus says, uh, come and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I feel like when I'm in those places where I feel like I'm totally lacking and my weaknesses are just plastered all over me and the whole world can look at me and see him I feel like that's when Jesus straps on that yoke and binds himself to me with it on us both and then we walk together through this Jesus doesn't go away from us when we're not doing the best we can when we're screwing up Jesus comes toward us and binds us to himself he wants to be with us in our weaknesses in fact he goes on to say, um, oh, I, I want to read you this C.S. Lewis quote because I think you and I don't really understand the degree, how, how hard 
temptation can come because we give in. <laughs> we say, oh, okay, I'll go eat that cookie instead of staying on my diet or whatever it may be. Um, but this is what C.S. Lewis says about Jesus, who, who more acutely felt the pain of temptation than even you and I do. This is in um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He says, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Jesus didn't give in. He's, so he's able to sympathize with us and be with us in that and, and um, go through it with us. So the scripture goes on to say, so then what, what should we do since we have this great high priest and he's able to sympathize with us? The scripture teaches us that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, because we're not believing our, the lies that our head is, is telling us about who we are and about who we are in relationship with Christ. We're confident that dirty as we are, we're welcome into that throne of grace. It's like little kids, you know, they're out playing in the dirt and they don't even, they're not even self-conscious. They don't even know that their hands are dirty when they reach and put a, their arms around you, making you dirty. They're, they just assume they're welcome in your arms. That's, that's how we should, that's the attitude we should have. Assume that Jesus has his arms open, ready to bring, take us in and bring us in. Not even be conscious of how dirty we are. Just be conscious of how welcome we are, how much Jesus wants to deal, deal with us tenderly. Um, and we need to do this. We need to go through the door of his sympathy to, to approach the throne of grace because we need mercy every single day. You know, we screw up. And so we need fresh mercy. So we, in, we boldly enter the throne of, throne of grace to find mercy for the ways we've screwed up and, and you know, want, need to start fresh and to receive help grace, to find grace in, um, to help in our needs. So we admit, I'm going to need grace going forward. I screwed up before. It's a new start, new day. Help me, help me. So we boldly can go into this throne room of grace and not let our sins hold us back, but let the grace that we seek be given to us so that we can keep moving forward. So it's, but that's a good, good thing that Jesus has allowed for us. Um, Okay, so let's move on from verse from what a high priest does, which it says in verse 1 of chapter 5. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices. So that's what a priest does. He's put in charge of things pertaining to God on behalf of people. That's what he does. But the next verse tells us how he does his job. On verse 2. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. He deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Since he himself is subject to weakness, and so the priest has to you know, make a sacrifice for himself. But the great high priest does not have to make a sacrifice for himself because he's without sin. But the, way, but the, great, the high priests are modeled after the great high priest. And so if 
the regular old high priests that need to have their own sins forgiven are able to deal gently with the ignorant and the, and the wayward. How much more does the great high priest have gentleness and tenderness to give us when, we, when we've sinned? And I love how there's two pictures of sin that they mention. Um, oh, wait, I forgot. I wanted to read you another quote. This is, this is from a book that I'm reading in my book club. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's by a man named Dane Ortland, and it's um, kind of a treatise on um, the, well, it's subtitled, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And um, it, he goes into a lot of detail about Christ's, he, he says that the only place where Jesus describes his heart is that verse in Matthew 11, where he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And so that's Jesus' self-description, according to this author. And so this book kind of unpacks all the ways Jesus is gentle and humble and how, that, how he interacts with sinners and non-sinners alike. So I would recommend this book. It's a very, very nice book, good book. But he says um, about the... Um, us coming to Jesus with our sins. Um, What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him or not. Whatever our, our offense, he deals gently with us, always gently. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth which he references several um, Revelation verses to, for that image. So if we don't come to him, we'll, it, his judgment will be so fierce, it'll be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. But if we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other. To no one will Jesus be neutral. So all that means, basically, is that Jesus, when we come to him with our sin, first of all, it's good to come to Jesus with our sin, not ignore him. Secondly, when we do, we are welcomed with tenderness and gentleness. Jesus will not rebuke us. Jesus will not condemn us. Jesus will not shame us. Jesus will not make fun of us. Jesus will not be disappointed in us and wag our finger. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows how hard we tried, how much our heart longs to do right. But he also knows our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And so he does not chide us. He deals tenderly with us. Thank you, Jesus. That's the key biblical truth. Jesus is always going to deal with us gently when we come to him with our sin and recognize we are sinful, but we need grace to, to live rock, properly, the way our hearts long to live. So, but he goes on, the writer talks about two different types of sinners, the ignorant ones and then the wayward ones. And I just want to illustrate those two types from my own, my own ignorant wayward life. Um, so years ago, Jack and I were training for our first marathon. And so the way we trained, we... Um, each week we added more miles onto our long run, and I w- ran much slower than Jack, so we would time it so that we would start at different times, but we'd finish at the finish line at approximately the same time, you know, so 
we'd end up at the end place at the same time. And so one day we were running our, our longest run to date, and I think it was maybe about 15 miles or so. It was, we ran from our, uh, the plan was for us to run from our home in the Marina District to San Francisco, across the Golden Gate Bridge, through Sausalito, down to Tiburon. And in Tiburon, there's this, uh, we were going to meet at this restaurant. We're going to celebrate our long run by having food, of course. And um, so this was our first, the longest I'd run. And I, I headed out, you know, earnest and confident. And, oh, we're going to make this having a hamburger at Sam's when I get there. Yay. Uh, but about, at about mile 10, I hit a wall. I ran out of gas. I had no energy left. I was out of water. I was thirsty, and I still had like five miles to go, and I had no idea how in the world I was going to make cover those next five miles. And I was so desperate, I was like getting ready to knock on a stranger's door, <laughs> begging them for water or a phone call to call a taxi or something. And as I, I think I was sitting on the edge of the curb, just with my head in my hand, just not sure what to do. And this car pulled up next to me with two young women in it. And they said, excuse me, we're lost. Can you tell us how to get to Sam's? And I said, if you take me there, I'll, tell, I'll show you how to get to Sam's. And so in, the, in this training, I was ignorant. I didn't know any better. I didn't know I needed extra water. In the future, we planted waters along the way where we knew we, we were going to be running. But that, that's just like how Jesus shows up. You know, I'm desperate. I was do, doing the best I could, but it wasn't good enough. And I, I'm really... I'm in need, and Jesus shows up and says, I'll take you to Sam's, you know, and so um, I just think that's such a lovely picture of when we are screw up, and we don't even know we screwed up, because we don't know any better, or we don't have enough information, Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, too bad, he, he, he comes to our rescue in some form, and he teaches us from that, we learn from that, I learned to plant water bottles along the way going forward, and um, so I, I love it that Jesus is gentle with me when I screw up and I go, oh, man, how did I do that? I didn't even know that was wrong, you know? We all can think of things in our lives where we're in retrospect we go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that or whatever it may be. But then there's the second kind of sinner that Jesus is gentle with, the wayward sinner, the one who purposefully turns away from life and purposefully, willfully chooses to sin. When that person repents, same gentle Jesus, same gentle Jesus. No, oh, you, you're in trouble because of this and that, and you're, you have to go sit in the dunce chair for a while because of that. I mean, there are going to be consequences, sure, but there is no, um, no sense of uh, shame from Jesus when I waywardly walk away from him. And I can think of one really big example in my life where I did that, and it was when before Jack and I were married, and I, um, I was probably in my late 20s and um, single, always wanted a boyfriend, never had a boyfriend. I was the good girl. I obeyed all the rules, and still I didn't have a, had, had a serious relationship. And this guy that I worked with started asking me out. And I was flattered, you know, because he's, he was handsome and... Um, he was interested in me. <laughs> that was a win, you know, for me. Somebody likes me. And so uh, I decided to go out on a date with him, you know, just to sh share the Lord with him, you know. You know how that goes. And uh, so, you know, one date led to two, three, four, five. I, 
on and on. So eventually we were dating and um, he was really interested in moving our relationship to a, a more intense level. And I was hesitant about doing that because I knew what that meant and I didn't want to cross that, that line with, with this man. But he just kept pressuring me and pressuring me and I just felt all this pressure. So finally I said, okay, fine, let's do it. Trying to be polite. Um, so the weekend I told this guy, okay, yes, we can go forward in our relationship. We were at a um, bar dancing and, uh, you know, having a dinner and all. And I, I liked to dance and he didn't like to dance. So I was dancing with our, our mutual friend. And then when I got tired of dancing and I went to the bathroom to, you know, relieve and take a break, I found this guy that I'd just been dating making out with a girl in the back of the bar. And I, I was so angry, but I was mostly angry at God because I said, you know what I wanted. You wouldn't give it to me. I went out and got it for myself, and now you're still not going to let me have it? I was so angry, you know, so angry. And I was pretty mad at God. Well, luckily, you know, I saw the light, and I ended up not going with this guy because come on, make an out with another girl when you're on a date with this one. And um, so I was pretty angry with God, but God, the image that I had after the fact is God, like, you know, when your kid's angry at you and they're pounding their fists on your chest because they are so angry, God just holding me, gently holding me until I ran out of anger, till I had no more energy to fight. And I realized how grateful I was that I was attempting a sort of spiritual suicide because I said, forget it, God. You're not going to give me what I want. I'm going to get it on my own. Spiritual suicide. And God kind of put a net underneath that um, leap I was ready to take and to save me. And I think that that is a very gentle. Gentle doesn't always look like that. Gentle sometimes takes some time. But any parent will know how gentle you have to be to hold your child when they're fighting and you have to keep them safe. And you have to make sure that they know that they're held and that, that they can trust that and they can express themselves to the nth degree and still be your child. So I feel like I'm so grateful that God deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. It's good to remember, good to know. Oh, and I found this verse in Second Chronicles that I thought was kind of interesting. It says, um, may the Lord... May the, Lord, may the Lord, who is good, grant pardon to everyone who has resolved to seek God. Grant pardon to everyone who has resolved to seek God, though he be not clean as holiness requires. <laughs> Isn't that reassuring? You know, if, we're, if we resolve to seek God, we're still going to be dirty, but we are still going to be welcomed. Yay, God. So, um, I just have, oh, and I'm going to, there's a bunch of junk in there in the middle that I'm skipping over, and I'm just going to go straight down to verse 7, where it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. So, Jesus, of course, always models for us what we should do when we find ourselves in situations and we're not sure what to do about them. When we are facing death, any kind of death, you know, a literal death or the death of not getting, getting the job you want or the death of not getting a good grade in school or the 
the death of having to say no to those cookies. Cookies are always up there on my list, you know. There's always a death involved in saying no to those temptations. And whenever we are in these places where we are experiencing the, the, the pain of saying no to death, Jesus teaches us how to handle it. He says he, what he did is he cried out with loud, um, offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him. So that's our job. When we find ourselves in a bind and we, temptation is beating at us and we're ready to like lay down and throw in the towel, look to the one who can save us and honestly talk to the one who can save us about what we're experiencing. This sucks. I hate this. But yet I know you know what it's about. I know you have the power to help me through it. So let's put that yoke on and walk together. And even if I don't do that, the welcome is still mine when I repent and come back. Always welcome. Um, and this type of, oh, and when it says Jesus was the son, even though he was a son, he learned um, obedience. Uh, he, he practiced obedience, and it led to his perfection. So there's hope for us. You know, when we, when we suffer and we turn to the one who can help us, and we put the yoke on and let us let the one that can help us walk with us through that valley, through that dark place, the ultimate outcome, that practice makes us stronger. It makes us, eventually it moves us into perfection, as Jesus did. And finally, I'd just like to uh, end with a picture, of my one of my favorite pictures of how tender Jesus always is, as he dealt with the woman caught in adultery. I mean, literally, she's naked. <laughs> and they bring them to her. And it's obvious she's wayward or sinful ignorant. I don't know what kind of sinfulness she had, but it's obvious that she has fallen off the path of righteousness. And the, the, the elders are accusing her and asking Jesus what they should do about it. They said, I think we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Because that was what the law said. And I love what Jesus does. Um, this is how it works in my mind anyway. He, um, go, he stays near the woman. He doesn't go over with the elders and look at her. In my, in my imagination, he stays near the woman. So if any of those elders were to pick up a throw, stone and throw it, he'd be on the receiving end of being, having stones thrown at him. So his, but it's not likely that they would do that with Jesus standing there next to him. So he's, in a way, he's suffering with her. He's with her in her weaknesses. He um, protects her from the anger of the, um, those other people, the Pharisees and scribes and all those people and then you know he says let the one who's without sin cast the first stone and then slowly they they all leave because they figured it out and then jesus turns to her and says where are your accusers and she said they're gone I can't remember exactly what she said, but he says, neither do I accuse you, or neither do I condemn you. So there's that mercy. He stays near her. He understands her, her, her need to be covered and protected and understood, and yet there's the mercy that forgives and then the encouragement to live rightly. That's how, to, that's how Jesus is, deals with sinners, whether you're wayward, whether you're uh, 
ignorant, you're always welcome to come to Jesus. Repent, come, resolve in your heart that I don't want to live this life any longer, and trust that Jesus will welcome you and treat you gently, just like the prodigal did, prodigal's father did with the prodigal. Arms wide open, running to meet him. That's the picture I want you to carry home with you today about Jesus. Jesus is so eager to embrace you with gentleness. And so I have a um, final, a benediction, if you will. Luke, my benediction. So this, um, this is, it's, it's a word. It's a good closing word. A great high priest who understands your human frailty and guards you with his mercy is attending to your cares this day. He who rescues you and befriends you, who suffered for you on earth, now stands for you in heaven. Jesus took on human form. He is familiar with the sorrows that rend your heart. He understands the pains you carry this day. He sympathizes with your grief. Therefore, boldly approach the throne and speak of your concerns. Ask for divine power to help, an eternal perspective to keep you grounded, and the comfort of God's presence as you strive to enter through the narrow gate. Amen. And if anybody wants a copy of that prayer, I can, if you get in touch with me, I can get it to you, send it to you, because it's a good word to carry. I'm carrying it with me as I leave here. So thank you all. Loving God, um, let your word reach our hearts exactly where they need to be reached. Let our hearts long to repent and come back into your embrace. Thank you, great high priest that you are, that you rejoice over one sheep that's been found. Amen. Thank you.